off to the races. That's going to be like my new thing that I say when like I want to start like the episode. I know. Yeah. You've been doing it pretty consistently we're, lately. We're rolling. Ryan Sharver, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a while. Um, yep. So wait, you and Gustavo met at TLI? Yes, we were both part of the first cohort. That was what, six years yeah. ago? Yeah, man. Can you Has it been that, that long, really? Yeah, time flies. Yes. So, yeah. interesting story. Um, you want to talk about election meddling, right, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, I, we were going, but I'm I, I was not. I was not going to bring it up. <laughs> I was. I was. It was between Ryan and I to be the the first cohort's president. <laughs> so I was able to buy enough people off to have it go my way. Right. It will, uh, the, the leader of the program, Christopher Pereira, I had us both stand up and he's like, everyone who wants Gustavo to be the president, raise your hands. <laughs> and everyone likes Gustavo. And so like, nobody wanted to be the moron. that's like not raising his hand. So like literally everyone raised their hand for him. And then, and Christopher's like, and who wants Ryan? And then at that point, like, Oh, I, I, I guess there was a choice there and literally nobody voted for me. It was awesome. <laughs> I think it was it was whoever would have gotten called first. That's who was going to win, you know, because people were really just like, yeah. No, it was it was it was a little slightly skewed, but I'll take it. It was good. He just went alphabetical, and that's what gave Gustavo the win. Yeah, yeah. I had an unfair advantage. It was Providence. There you go. That is funny. Um, well, we we know we know you, Ryan. But for those people that are listening that don't know who you are, can you can you give us a little uh, fun fact about yourself? Uh, a little, uh, who is Ryan Sharver? Sure, give my little thirty second bio. I am a second generation Arizonan on my mom's side, born and raised here. Uh, did K through eight at St. Mary's Bash out in Chandler, Brophy for high school, Notre Dame for undergrad and law school. Uh, came back here and I have never been anywhere else since. I'm working at the same law firm out in Chandler that I started at straight out of law school. Um, meet partner in 2018. Um, married, four kids. Uh, they all go to Chandler Prep and Archway Chandler. I think that's about it in a nutshell. Nice. Beautiful. Um, so I thought now we're tied in kids. I have four as well. You've been so, catching up. I've been catching up. Yeah, this is just playing catch up. Um, they're still like probably way younger than yours, but you know, this explains the the bags under the ice. Um, <laughs> so, um, I guess the first question that I have for you, you know, that you know, it's, it's always get nervous talking to lawyers, but I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit at ease because I know you. Uh, <laughs> so. Speaking like as a Mexican, is it just me or do people in general get anxious and confused when when things like testaments and wills and living wills and trusts and state planning and words like that come up in conversation? It's it's very common. And I think that is there's some shared factors there across cultures. Um Obviously, there's the whole memento mori factor. Nobody likes to contemplate their own mortality. Uh, so it's very common for people just to put it off and not want to deal with it. Um, that's pretty universal. And then also there are, in most cultures, I think it is considered kind of gauche to talk about wealth 
and inheritance and those sorts of things. You know, it, it makes you seem greedy and materialistic to bring those <laughs> things up. Um, so it's, it's very frequent that people don't deal with this stuff until it's, it's too late. You know, if you look at the statistics of how many people have even very basic planning in place, it's a tiny percentage. Um, so, you know, I, I'll have to leave it to you guys if, uh, you know, the, the Mexican community is more so than others at that point. I would, I, I do think more conservative, uh, traditional communities tend to have stronger taboos around those things, mm -hmm. um, which is, is good and bad in different ways. Uh, but on this front, it's, it's probably not a great thing because, um, you know, having people pass away without any type of planning, uh, has great potential to lead to, you know, major fighting, uh, and legal issues after somebody passes away that would have been very easy to avoid if they had done some basic planning ahead of time. I guess let's establish some context for people that didn't pick up. You are a lawyer that deals with end of life legal issues, correct? Sure. So, you know, my, my firm does a lot of things. We do estate planning, asset protection, probate, real estate, and business law. Um, but, you know, a, a big part of my practice is estate planning, uh, drafting medical directives, uh, trusts and wills. Um, Got it you know, probate and trust administration. So helping the next generation take over when clients pass away. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, for our topic tonight, that's definitely going to be the most relevant. Got it. Got it. Yeah, because um, I think that, you know, in my adult life, my dad mostly has mentioned horror stories about like his cousins fighting over land you know because there's like five brothers and one of them is trying to sell a ranch and he wants like his fifth but then he's like well my the, the delimitation is this much of the uh, of the ranch and they end up like ugly fighting over you know what was handed over from like their parents mm -hmm. um and I know that from like, it's just, I mean, you're in a Catholic podcast, so we're going to talk about like the Catholic perspective about, uh, you know, being a good steward comes into the picture of um, whatever we have, whether it's like uh, little or a lot. Um, if we do that planning ahead of whatever may happen with us, we don't know how much time we have in this world. So being prepared for those kind of situations is better than not being prepared for that. So I guess that like what level of, of awareness um, should there be for someone to be prudent? I guess if we want to like get virtue into the mix. Sure. That's a, it's a complicated question, obviously that's different from <laughs> client to client. Um, I think it will first be helpful for me to say a little bit about what probate is. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, it comes from the Latin probo probare, which means to prove, and it's basically shorthand for a court process whereby when someone passes away, other people step up and they present evidence of what that person wanted done with their property. Um, so the first thing and the most basic thing that uh, an estate planning attorney is generally trying to do for you is to avoid probate, to keep your family out of probate court. Um, because 
you can, even with a basic will and some beneficiary designations on your big ticket assets, um, it's, it's not that difficult to avoid probate and have things set up so that those transfers are going to happen either privately within the confines of a trust or automatically through beneficiary designations. And there's a lot of benefits to avoiding that process. Um, you know, cause when you, if you did no planning and, you know, let's say you have a piece of real estate that's just sitting out there in your name alone now, and you're passed away, somebody needs to come forward and get authority to get control of that house and sell it or transfer it to the people that are supposed to have it now. Um, in order to do that, they have to, um, open a case with the Maricopa County Superior Court. So it gets a case number and then everyone who might have cause to object to what you're doing, you're required to give them notice. So it's sort of an invitation to fight over things <laughs> that doesn't necessarily happen if you plan for things on the right way. Um, mm -hmm. Average probate here in Arizona costs, you know, four or $5,000 in legal fees and takes six to nine months to wrap up. And that's under best case scenario where, where nobody shows up to complain, no one lawyers up and decides to fight over stuff. That's just an informal probate where no one's showing up in front of a judge and you're just mm -hmm. doing the bare minimum to get the authority you need to take control of stuff. So I would say the minimum that you know would be necessary for somebody to have say, hey, I, I exercised at least some amount of prudence in this area is to take the steps necessary to avoid probate. You know, that, that doesn't mean you need a, a very complex plan with lots of moving pieces. You maybe don't even need mm -hmm. a big fancy trust, but everybody needs at least some sort of foundation of planning in place. And even mm -hmm. if you just have the most basic will imaginable, you can do beneficiary designations on multiple types of assets and stay out of probate that way. Interesting. Well, that's good to know because I was like, how complicated it is? Because when you hear estate planning, it's like, well, that's for someone that has like things to pass on to the next generation. <laughs> it was like, if you just have, when I think of things that I uh, would pass on, it would be like, okay, well, you know, if I, if, if, if I die, eventually I have like an insurance, uh, health insurance that, that it could go, it goes to my beneficiaries, my wife, my children, um, a home that I don't know what's going to happen to it. But it, sometimes I think that, well, at least in my case, uh, I don't think of the need to have those things in place because I'm like, well, I don't have that much. Like, but it is, I'm assuming that this is not the case. It should still have something that is basic. Like what would be like the... Stay out of probate, be the first step, but um, what would be like something a little bit more than that to just get your future generations out of trouble? Sure. So a really basic plan would look like a simple will, the ancillary documents you would need to deal with incapacity. So healthcare mm -hmm. directives, a financial power of attorney, because you can end up in probate court before you die. If you have a stroke or end up with dementia or Alzheimer's and you just can't manage your own affairs anymore, somebody else has to step in and start writing checks for you. Um, that's another way to end up in probate. And that's where the powers of attorney kick in. And that's, that keeps you out of probate court if you have that stuff in place. Um, and then the you know beneficiary designations on the big ticket items. So you can do 
like for instance your house um walter i presume your your wife is on the title as well uh and as long as the deed says you know walter walter and wife you know as uh, joint tenants with right of survivorship or community property with right. right of survivorship. That means that the house is going to pass automatically and wholly to her at your passing without you having to do anything further. You won't have to go to probate court. All she's going to have to do is record a copy of your death certificate here in Maricopa County. And that makes it happen. Similarly, any um, bank accounts, investment accounts that you are both listed on will pass automatically to the other person that's listed on that account when you pass. Um, retirement accounts, life insurance policy, usually, you know, your spouse is named as the primary on those sorts of things. So that that's what kind of a first level of planning would look like. Now, having minor kids complicates things significantly, because then you have to think about, you know, what happens if something happens to you and your wife in a common accident when you guys are out on date night? Um, Because at that point, the beneficiary designation strategy breaks down, you can't name a two-year-old as the beneficiary of a, an IRA that has six figures in it. Um, Mm -hmm. So as long as you have minor kids, you basically have to have a trust plan in order to stay out of probate court. Mm -hmm. Okay. So can you define what a trust is? Sure. Um, So a trust is, is, is kind of a, an imaginary legal container akin to a, an LLC or a corporation um, okay. that can own things separate from, from you and your spouse. Um, so, you know, a, a trust will be created, you know, you would have an attorney draft one or you'd grab a foreign woman off the internet. And when you sign it, the date that you sign it is when it springs into existence. And then at that point, you can either retitle assets into it presently. So you could sign a deed moving your house into it right away, or you can point assets at it through beneficiary designations so that they won't actually move into the trust until you're gone, but it'll happen automatically then and you won't have to worry about probate. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the benefits of, of a trust is that you've got way more flexibility with who's taking care of what sorts of things and when your kids are inheriting and how. Um, so, you know, ideally, if you've got minor kids, every mm-hmm. all your assets are either in the trust or pointed at it. Um, and then you and your wife have designated, you know, a family member or a friend, maybe even a professional that you trust to step in and manage your assets on behalf of the kids until they hit whatever age you're comfortable with them inheriting it. Um, so you've got you've got a lot more options with how and when kids are inheriting and who's stepping in and making various decisions for you if you go with the trust plan. That makes more sense because, you know, growing up in Mexico and just watching American movies, the concept of trust fund kid would come up <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't know what this means. It's just guy's rich somehow and he doesn't work, <laughs> just has money. But thanks, Ryan. Now it all makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, clearly we are very unprepared for this. <laughs> no, not that we're unprepared. It's just like, okay, this is like the it, was that lightning that just hit uh, your I window? Think so system? yeah. Hopefully the internet doesn't go up. <laughs> um, but I'm asking from the perspective: is, is it, we're two Mexican dads in this podcast? Is it, we just became citizens. American citizens recently? Congratulations! Thank mm-hmm. you. Cool. Um, 
So this is one of the things that, again, you see in the movies, but they are very real, right? And they can be very scary. Um, the memento mori part of it is undoubtable. Uh, I mean, my wife and I have had conversations about, like, we need to get our affairs in order. In order, yeah. Before anything happens. And, you know, like, we have... I don't know, however, there's 18 years until our kids uh, are adults. Um, it makes sense to be prudent about these kind of things. But, you know, life happens and you end up not pushing it down. You kick the can down the road, right? You, mm -hmm. you don't do it. Of course. Um, and then um, I don't know if like postponing it makes it more difficult in terms like of how things get complicated um the older your kids are probably not i'm assuming that it's easier to do it um when they are already adults because then they're like recipients of whatever you set up um and at but, that point, uh, you don't have to worry about making guardianship nominations because while they're young mm -hmm. then you've got this additional layer of who's stepping in to parent them if i'm gone right. and those are frequently different people than the ones that you want managing your money Um, but as soon as your kids are all grown, then you don't have to worry about the garnership nominations. And most of the time, one of them at least will be responsible enough to step up and be your successor trustee. So it can often be hard thinking of people to serve that role when you have very young mm -hmm. kids, but as they grow up and uh, come into their own, the, the sorts of things your plan would need simplify significantly. Gotcha. Yeah, I think even a um, uh, couple of friends of ours, I think we are like the uh, designated guardians of their children if they happen to pass before they are uh, adults. So there's a big responsibility. Like, who do you ask? Especially oh, yeah. if you want someone who's like a practicing Catholic who wants who's going to continue to raise your kids in the faith. So yeah. it's a very serious thing to consider. And it's, I mean, I, I think that it should not be taken lightly. Um, and that's right. why we're talking to you. So we are <laughs> letting people know that uh, this is something that they should look into and talk to a professional and get their uh, their affairs sorted out. You know, for, for kids, people that have minor kids, the guardianship nominations are probably the single most important part of the whole plan. Um, mm. Obviously, having the trust in place so that your kids don't have to go through probate to inherit is is important and big. But if you if you know you've got young parents that pass away in a common accident and there's minor kids that now need guardians appointed for them, and the parents did not sign anything indicating what their preferences were about who steps in to take that job those can lead to some of the ugliest, most bitter fights you will see in probate court where the grandparents from both sides are just duking it out of, mm -hmm. for custody of the kids. Oh man. I thought that, yeah, it, immediately the grandparents come to mind. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I would be like, okay, in my case, my parents are still in, in Mexico. It'll complicate a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things is it gets just it gets messy right and and it's something that you don't think because sometimes you're like well you know i'm gonna live forever let's just keep <laughs> rolling and just doing it day by day but um 
yeah, I just keep going back to prudence and how um, we are called to to be good stewards and um, it, it just do the right thing. What is the right thing to do? It's not even about like building a legacy or or you know trying to set your kids up uh, for success in, in the future. It could be part of it mm -hmm. if you do it the right way, but um, just being ready. Like I remember my parents talking to me about how they bought a plot in a cemetery in Mexico. And oh, I was yeah. like, I don't want to talk about that. Please like, don't <laughs> like, and now that I'm older, I'm like, uh, guys, can you give me like the information about those things? <laughs> yeah. So you have, have the it, guy's like, name. You have the guy's number dad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do they have a website? So can <laughs> I can email somebody about that? Do I just Is go and pick a piece of land? Well, how does it work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. take a shovel and mark it. <laughs> it's just unnecessary stress. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like very emotional. Um, how do you remove like I'm a I think of myself as a very rational person. Yeah. But uh, we're dealing with like end of life uh, issues. Like you mentioned earlier, like If you don't have anything, uh, I've had like a couple procedures where I've been uh, under anesthesia um, and they asked me, do you have like, um, what's the, the name of the thing where someone that makes decisions for you, uh, medical decisions for you? The healthcare power of attorney? Um, that. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have one. I was like, I don't know my wife. Um, but it's like, what would I do if I was single? And <laughs> someone asked me, I was like, I don't know. My roommate, I don't know. <laughs> um, that it, it helps to to think ahead of, of those things. Well, especially um, as providers, you know, in in terms of um, uh, making sure that your kids are being take taken care of now, and 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 that your family has everything that they need now. I think we get caught up in that day to day. You know, it's like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing my job. I'm providing. I'm protecting. I'm yeah. keep, keeping their spiritual life, you know, uh, nice and healthy. And and I think we we don't think about the future, wherever that may happen, tomorrow, five, 10, 20 years, whatever. You know, so I think we take for granted the fact that that can also count as being the provider and the protector of your family and just getting informed. This right here, this conversation, we 20 minutes in and I'm like, okay, there's a lot I need to take care of. You know, there's certain things in place, obviously, but but you don't, if you don't know the ins and outs of it, sometimes you're like, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, you know, and, and you don't know if you're going to get to it. So right. it's important to just at least have the information, at least be uh, um, cognizant about everything that goes into it and how important and how much issues you're going to resolve by just, preparing and being prudent with with planning like you said so it's good advice yeah um okay so estate planning trust uh, like i guess one of the questions that i that i have now that you that we've been talking about all of these things like what would be like the difference between like a will and a testament or is it used interchangeably no it's it's a good question so um it, it's frequently called a last will and testament and uh, a testamentary document is really any document that 
only becomes effective upon your death. Um, so, you know, a will is a type of testamentary document. There, there are other types as well. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, your, your main estate planning document is either going to be a simple will or a trust. And when you have a trust, it usually comes with what's known as a pour over will that's designed to support the trust. The will in okay. that case is just a backup that says, hey, if I died and I left something big outside of my trust, take this will down to probate court, open an estate for me and get everything moved into my trust that way because that's how I want my kids to inherit. Um, but if you have a trust, your hope is that you never need to reach for that will because if your spouse or your successor trustee is doing that, it means they're headed to probate court and they just lost a big benefit of having a trust in the first place, which is avoiding probate. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense now. The thing, like, like I put in the in the show notes, like, do you have to explain things to us? Like, we're five years old because we're like <laughs> so out of touch, man. No, these are all very technical terms. I mean, I, I I end up doing estate planning for doctors and engineers and just highly educated people that are are no more up to date on this stuff than you are. People don't like thinking about it anyway. Um, a lot of this stuff is kind of counterintuitive. So there, there's not really an expectation that you're going to be an expert on any of this. And okay, to complicate things, that's the does the legislation for it change state by state in the U.S.? That's a great question. Um, so most states have adopted either in whole or in part something called the Universal Trust Code. So okay. uh, if you have a trust, it's pretty portable. Uh, you know, if you move from one state to another, it's not likely you would need to really update anything with it. Um, but the ancillary documents that come with any estate plan, so like your healthcare directives, your financial mm -hmm. power of attorney, those are very different from state to state. So when oh, I have okay. a, a client that moves out of state, I will frequently refer them to a local estate planning attorney there just to look over the uh, ancillary documents and, and usually to give them new state specific ones based on wherever they they now live okay interesting yeah because you know, i was like you know there's things that are going to be like like laws right there's something that's going to be at the federal state something's going to be at the state level uh, uh it's i said it the other way local right? level. Uh, yes exactly you know what i'm trying i was trying mm -hmm. to say um yes. uh oh man i think that I don't know what else are we missing that you would like tell someone who is like, like us, a new, that it, like an engineer or like a graphic designer that's like, what would you I could you design think? the will pretty pretty. <laughs> I could design the crap out of your will, that's for sure. I can put it on a website. That's that's what I can do. Uh, but like, what, what do you, what would you say that someone that is looking into state planning and maybe we can. Uh, plug your your firm in in this part of of the podcast uh, to have like step one on uh, starting on uh, down this this road of being prepared for end of life. Uh, step one for somebody that has nothing in place. Um, I, I think the the goal, if you go no further than this, should be to figure out what do I need to do to keep my family out of court if I die suddenly tomorrow and unexpectedly. Um, 
what that looks like is going to be different from person to person. So, you know, we touched right. on this before. Once your kids are all adults, um, mm -hmm. a lot of people that have kind of a simple, straightforward asset picture can get by with basic will plans and beneficiary designations, just making sure everything's titled properly um, and just leaving it at that. Um, other people are going to need a trust to reliably avoid probate as long as their kids are underage or if they have complicated assets. Uh, it's a good idea to um, obviously consult with a good estate planning attorney. Um, the best like Hope Adamson Charmer planning. Well, I'm actually going to plug a colleague of mine because uh, okay. uh, the best a Spanish speaking estate planning attorney I know is actually uh, Daniel Esparza, and he's on the west side. Um, I'm obviously out in, uh, Chandler. So for anyone that listens to your podcast, that's in the East Valley. I would be more than happy to sit down with them and, you know, talk about their needs and what their options are. Um, but I would imagine for a lot of your listeners, Daniel's probably going to be a lot closer than I am. Nice. Um, can you talk about like what has been one of the craziest, uh, cases that you've had in terms of like probate or state planning? Oh, okay. I've been doing uh probate litigation for about seven years. And so that's like families fighting over money in court when things were not handled properly. Mm -hmm. And the very first case I, I did, um, was, geez, this was probably seven or eight years ago. Um, it was involved a, um, a guy that uh, had a wife and three kids, and mm -hmm. he was big into real estate investment. Uh, okay. So had his own real estate investments, and he also was hired to manage other people's real estate investments. You know, kind of was like the manager for their entities and ran those sorts of things. Um, and in very short order, uh, this this guy. Um, was notified that he had an inoperable brain tumor. And then oh the there was the uh, real estate crash in like 2007, 2008 that wiped out his net worth. And then he started embezzling from his business partners that he was managing their money for and day trading with it, trying to make back his losses. And then he lost all of that. And then his wife told him that he, she wanted a divorce. And it all happened within about like, I think a, a couple months period. So, um, the, the tragic story, uh, it was, it was on the news actually. There was, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was, this was on like national news because they found a burned out, uh, car in the desert, um, down in Pima County. And they said like, oh, this is finally it. The cartel violence has finally spilled over the border. The, the sheriff, the sheriff Babu, I think, from down in Tucson, said that. No, that was that was okay. not what was happening. That was this this probate case. So what what the guy ended up doing is he um, he shot his wife and his kids in their home, piled the bodies into his car, drove out into the desert, got out, lit the car on fire, got in the car, and shot himself. Um, so that was my very first probate litigation case. And there were a ton of moving pieces because we had to deal with the claims from the embezzled business partners. There was a wrongful death claim from the, the wife's family. Um, there were other business partners that had been wronged as well. So uh, there were, you know, the, the claims against the estate 
far overwhelmed the amount of assets that we had to um, uh, to satisfy those claims. And that case actually ended up creating new Arizona law around the Slayer statute because there's a law in Arizona and in most states that says that if you murder somebody and you were going to benefit financially from their death somehow via like a life insurance policy or some mm. asset that they had designated you as beneficiary on, that law just automatically, you know, disinherits you to ensure that no one can profit from a murder. Um, mm. So, yeah, we we were, went real in depth on that law because, you know, one of the parties was sure that he was going to end up with everything because of the slave statute. And that wasn't actually the case. Um, but, yeah, it was it was bitterly litigated over five years, was appealed up to the Court of Appeals and the Arizona Supreme Court. It was appealed on the federal side as well. Um, so, yeah, that was that was fun. I got tossed. That was your wolves. first. It was my very first case. Yeah. And you still wanted to continue doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I got interestingly enough, when when you go to law school, most law schools sort you pretty early on either a litigation track or a transactional track. And I, I decided, you know, it being transactional sounds great. You know, if you do your job mm-hmm. well, everyone leaves the table smiling and I don't have another attorney on the other end looking to my, ruin my day all the time. <laughs> um, and I had been practicing law for, I think about three years. And then my then boss, now partner, Ron Adams told me he was tired of referring out all the probate litigation cases. So now you're a probate litigator, Ryan, good luck. And that was my very first case. So, um, it wasn't just kind of like a newbie with a tough case. This was like the opposite of what I wanted to do coming out of law school, but wow. it, we, st- we still got a good, uh, we, we still got it done. My, my client got a good result. So, um, yeah, it's, I've, I've seen some crazy stuff. Talk about being tossed in the deep end right there. Yeah. Well, wow. and because that case created new law, um, if you Google Arizona Slayer statute right now, I mean, you, it'll pull up a picture of my face um, because like I've written articles on it. And so I'm just, I kind of incidentally became a local expert on the subject. Oh now. my goodness. And it does go. bring so, a picture of your face. It's the first hit. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I, I am now kind of the local subject matter expert on a very, frightening subject that I had no interest in becoming an expert in because anytime someone's interested in that and I have another attorney reaching out to me about it, it is always just like the most uh, gut-wrenching case you can imagine. Um, But yeah. Wow. wow. I'm glad that you have the faith to like still believe in humanity after you hear cases like that. (laughs) That would be like, you know, if you if you are exposed to those kinds of you like my faith in humanity is gone. Yeah, it's it, ironically, uh, Catholics are at least seem to be very overrepresented among probate attorneys and estate planning attorneys. I think it probably really? has something to do with the fact that we are just much more comfortable with memento mori than than most people because. You know, our church is constantly reminding us that, you know, mm-hmm. you are dust and the dust you shall return sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 rewarding because I feel like it's um, hang on. I've got I have to stop a beeping sound. Sure, you're fine. <laughs> okay. 
Sorry about that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm all over the place here. But, um, you know, the, the original three professions in the Middle Ages were, um, were lawyers, doctors, and the clergy. Uh, and there were very strict rules about how they could be compensated because, um, you know, people came to them with very serious problems and they needed to be able to trust them implicitly in like the things that they were advising them on. Right. And, um, you know, probate litigation and estate planning is is very similar to that. And that, you know, when when somebody comes to me for that sort of a problem, um, I'm getting kind of a front row view of all the skeletons in the closet, all of the family's dirty laundry. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you need to have uh, a good uh, anthropology, like understanding what a human is and the importance of the family and somebody that is going to properly value um, the relationships involved and not just adopt the scorched earth strategy and try to get as much money for you know your client yeah. in a transactional sense out of this one dispute and i it, i think catholics are probably better suited than many to do that um because of you know our what, what the church teaches us mm -hmm. how useful is it to know latin in being in the law uh, It's, it's helpful, not super helpful. It's both for both doctors and lawyers. There's a lot of terminology that involves Latin. Um, there's been a movement in both the medical and the legal communities to um, simplify our language in ways that is not so impenetrable to lay people, which I think in general is a good thing. Um, it's still helpful shorthand for describing mm -hmm. kind of like complex concepts in a way that a judge will understand right away rather than having to type out two or three sentences. So I still, I still use Latin where I can in my pleadings. Um, I took four years of it at Brophy. My kids are getting it now at Greyhearts. Um, so um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Latin nerd. I'm, I'm a big fan of it, but it's, <laughs> it's importance to in being a lawyer or a doctor is, is probably commonly overstated. You can do just fine as a doctor or lawyer without knowing any Latin at all. Yeah, but you're cooler though, right? If you <laughs> Bless you both for saying that. I And I, thank God you guys think so. I, I certainly don't always feel that way, but yes, I, I do feel like Latin. Oh, you're talking to Catholics here, my man. Come on. Right. I know. So you're part of the club. Um, yeah, you no, start I'm... you start praying the rosary and like you break the Latin out and like in a, in a gathering of a, you know, and people will be like, oh, It's, it's like, like oh, like, it's like <laughs> real deal over here. Wow. Sancti, okay. Look at this show off yeah. over here. We got a yeah, it's like, like, expert level Catholic. Jeez, excuse uh, me. I'm a professional Catholic, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Please don't don't quote me on saying that. I can probably edit this part out. Um, oh my goodness. I like how this conversation evolved from like us uh, pretty much getting a free consult from you <laughs> to <laughs> talking about law in general and Catholicism. Um, and I can talk about me medieval uh, era. Uh, all that part fascinates me as, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what, one of the th things that, that we haven't talked about that, you think that people listening are 
you know, our audience is mainly Catholics that are in like in their thirties. Uh, um, what would you say to them that we haven't talked about that? It's like, do this. As soon Call as Ryan. Call Ryan. We're going to put your phone yes. number in the description. Well, uh, there's that. Trying to think of other things, just general advice might be helpful for your audience. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to set up an LLC, even without a lawyer. Mm -hmm. There's like do-it-yourself forms through the Arizona Corporation Commission website. So, um, and I know the, 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 the Mexican community especially is, is very entrepreneurial. Uh, at least the, the, the ones that I deal with in the East Valley typically have, you know, multiple businesses going in at once sometimes. But um, especially for immigrants or like first generation Americans, mm -hmm. the, the legal system is uh, a little impenetrable sometimes and is scary to deal with. Um, doesn't matter what kind of business you have, you should probably have an LLC and you should be trying to run everything you can through that LLC. Now, that doesn't matter if you're a W-2 employee, if you are working for someone, the liability is their concern and not yours in theory. Um, but if you are a, an entrepreneur, a sole proprietor, you know, um, somebody that gets paid as a 1099, uh, there's, there's probably value in creating an LLC and making sure you're signing all of your contracts on behalf of your LLC and not yourself personally. Um, it's, it's not very difficult to do. Um, you know, you will need to uh, get a tax ID number for the LLC, which you can do mm -hmm. off the IRS website very, very easily. Use that number to open a bank account for your LLC and just make sure, you know, if, if you make any money through your business, it gets deposited in that account. If you have to spend something that's a legitimate expense of that business, it comes out of that account. But as long as you, you know, you have your LLC, you have your business bank account, you are not commingling things. So you're keeping your personal stuff separate from your business. Then um, that, that gives you, it's, a, it's an easy way to get some very mm -hmm. uh, quick and easy protection in the business world that uh, a lot of people just don't think to do. Yeah. Nice. Keep business, business and personal, personal. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's awesome. Gustavo, do you have any last comments? No, I think it's important just to like, like I said earlier, you know, is, is be mindful as, as you move down the journey, right? Anything can happen in any given day. Um, we entrust ourselves to the Lord, but the Lord knows better what to do with us. And, and we just have to do our part, I think. And it's, I, I think this conversation is really important and I'm really glad that our listeners are going to be exposed to it because It might be like the first time they've heard it, you know, or they might have all their stuff in order, but it's never a bad time to just reassess, you know, and to make sure that you're, you're, you're doing the good thing for your family because we want to make sure if the inevitable, when it happens, we are giving them the least amount of headaches possible. Right. Wow. So we, at least, at least that's the way I see it, you know, just to make sure. Uh, everything's kind of like taken care of. And I, I know it's going to be very beneficial for our listeners to, to hear you and uh, hopefully they can uh, make, make some of those uh, movements and, and, and get the ball rolling on their end. Before we close this out, did you guys 
want me to touch on at all the specifically end of life things having to do with Catholics and living wills and like healthcare powers of attorney, because that is usually what is that that's where the specifically Catholic issues come in with estate planning and how we as Catholics need to do different things differently than just anyone that's trying to avoid probate would do. Oh, okay. Yeah. What would be the specifics for, uh, for Catholics? Okay. So with any type of estate plan, you need healthcare directives. Those are the documents talking about who's stepping in and making healthcare decisions for you. If you are just well and truly out of it. And if you go to a non-Catholic estate planner, they are probably going to try to give you a living will. The living will is the pull the plug document. It's the one that says, doctors, once you've come to the conclusion, I'm medically hopeless and there's nothing else you can do for me. And you're getting ready to turn to my next of kin for permission to remove life support. Don't put that soul crushing decision on my family. I'm making that decision for them now. Keep me comfortable. So keep the painkillers coming, but otherwise let me go naturally. Um, So in theory, that should, you know, spare your family members some pain and make that process just less painful on everybody. Mm -hmm. In practice, though, um, as Catholics, we cannot count on the fact that whatever doctor happens to be managing our care at the end of our life is going to share our beliefs about the value of human life and dying with dignity. Um, So you are putting a huge amount of power in that guy's hands if you sign a living will. So what the USCCB and the Diocese of Phoenix recommends is that mm-hmm. Catholics should not have a living will and should instead have mm-hmm. a healthcare power of attorney with explicitly Catholic language in it and that you name good Orthodox Catholics as your healthcare agents and not just, you know, random people you're close with. Um, because in, in Catholic bioethics, there's an important distinction between uh, ordinary and extraordinary measures for keeping a person alive. Okay. And it is, it's never required to exert extraordinary measures to keep someone alive. You know, if, if they're on the downward swing and they, they, it, they don't think it's a good idea to put on a ventilator, that's fine. You know, a ventilator is, is an extreme measure to keep someone alive. It's literally breathing mm-hmm. for you. But examples of ordinary treatments would be uh, artificial hydration and artificial uh, nutrition. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that as they get to the end of their life, they just they can't eat or drink well anymore. And they need Mm -hmm. that. And that's kind of a basic human thing. You know, just because somebody's sick doesn't mean you get to stop feeding them and giving them them drink. And one issue with basic living wills is if you sign just kind of a standard one that doesn't have these kind of Catholic carve outs in it, then when the doctor decides it's time for you to go, they can just pull your food Starve you to death. Right. And then if they miscalculate that how long it's going to take for your underlying cause to, to kill you, sometimes you get people that literally end up dehydrating to death over, Jeez. you know, two, three days, which is like a very, it's, it's a t- torturous sad way for somebody to go when there's no need to do that. Um, so that, that's just, you know, to the extent your listeners are going to be shopping for estate planners soon, that's something I would, I would uh, advise them to look into is like, whoever you're going to, are, are they familiar with, um, you know, 
the uh, extraordinary versus ordinary measures and Catholic concerns surrounding end of life, do they have specifically Catholic forms for dealing with that? Wow. wow. That's the cherry on top right there. So that's what I thought this whole episode was going to be about when you talk to me about end of life issues. And then I, I took us <laughs> in all sorts of weird directions instead. No, it's perfect. I mean, no, I think we needed to, to establish this some is a weird podcast too, right? to begin with. Yeah. So we just go with it. <laughs> Nobody's really listening. We don't even post it. <laughs> we have like 10 listeners. We just, just we just talk to people that we think we can gain something from. So thank you, Ryan. <laughs> all right. There you go. That was all Doug's idea. If we have someone to blame. <laughs> Yeah. No, but uh, I honestly hadn't given it thought until you mentioned like there is a very fine difference, right, between um, saying you know when it's not like a do not resuscitate thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it has more nuance to it. Um, it's 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 something similar to like palliative care when someone is in hospice. It's just like just because this person is. We're all going to die, really. But if someone is sick and you still give them um, hydration and, uh, and nutrition until their body shut down because of old age or what have you, that is the way that someone goes with dignity, right? Because right. we're supposed to uphold the dignity of the human person until the moment of death from crib to, to the tomb. Man, that is sobering. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and again, we're breaking taboos, right guys. Go ahead. It, it, I mean, it's, it's it has to be talked about because yeah. you know, it's, it's in the, in a world where we are all talking about normalize this, normalize that, memento mori, guys, normalize memento mori. It's mm -hmm. good advice. Yeah, and you don't know what you don't know, right? I mean, again, all those details. That's also true. Maybe people were already had all their stuff in order, but the last comment that you made about the Catholic perspective, this is in fact a Catholic podcast. So it's like, oh, okay, so there's another uh, layer that I need to potentially look into. So that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to edify ourselves and and bring people along along with us. You know, to to make sure that we're just giving everything to the Almighty and and doing it as a community as as we walk together on this journey so we really appreciate your expertise and, and your time ryan thank you so much no thanks for having me on guys this was fun yeah and uh for everybody else if you got something out of the podcast don't forget to like and subscribe and all that fun stuff go to direct.me forward slash barbatus for more information on the podcast and we'll see you next week later till the next time